OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Um, all right, Israel, thank you very much for joining us today. We like to move quick, so uh, we're going to jump right into things. And uh, the best way for us to start is if you can share a little bit about your background, um, you know, the, the times that you spent building companies to all the way through everything from the beginning, I guess, a little bit of a background, and then kind of where you're at today. And then one thing about you that nobody would know. Great, great. Um, well, look, uh, as, as the audience have probably heard, I'm, I'm, um, I'm Mexican. I was born and raised in Mexico in my young years. Um, and eventually all my professional life, um, I had the pleasure of living in the UK for 25 years. Uh, first eight years in London. So uh, pretty much uh, as most immigrants, like we all are, we end up uh, working in an industry that we just fall into it. Um, it was the leisure industry and I ended up uh, working all my way from uh, cleaning floors to uh, being the director of expansion for the whole of Europe for the number one company in the world on uh, uh, leisure entertainment. So uh, because of that, I thought, okay, yeah, if I'm, uh, if I'm very good at doing things for a company and for somebody else, maybe I should try it myself. So I jump in into being an entrepreneur. Uh, little did I know that it was going to be one of the most uh, uh, hurtful and exciting uh, times and uh, I have never stopped since. So I, I put uh, three companies together in the UK as an overall. Uh, two of them worked fantastically well, uh, made my ego grow even bigger on uh, decision-making and thinking that everything that I touched turned into gold. And eventually on the third one, every single decision that I took on my own went wrong. I didn't have a mentor, didn't have an advisor. I thought I could do everything, right? As most entrepreneurs, we think, failure due to uh, our ego. And um, that, that company took me into uh, a uh, bankruptcy. So that was uh, uh, lost absolutely everything. Uh, it was a great experience, something that I try not to repeat. And, um, uh, and, I, and I think uh, if there is a place where you can go uh, unbanked and bankrupt is in the UK, the English know how to do it really well. Anyway, and due to that, uh, being an entrepreneur, I had some, um, you know, never stop having ideas, which is what entrepreneurs have tons of, right? Especially on a Friday night after a few drinks in bed. And um, so I had two friends of mine who uh, acted as angel investors, and they invest uh, together with me on a new uh, project. It did pretty well. And uh, that's how I got involved in angel investment. Um, somebody saved my neck. Uh, invested in me, they met me, and um, they believed in me. And eventually, uh, we did well. So uh, I kept working and doing other things. But when I came back to Mexico, I thought angel investment is something very, very important uh, to try and develop more in not just Mexico, but Latin America, right? Uh, so close to the US and Canada, you know, for our flight, but so far away in terms of uh, entrepreneurial ecosystems. And yet, you know, we had a great opportunity to do in cross-border 
to doing a lot of things together that we just don't seem to be able to do it. And it's just the differences between ecosystems, uh, uh, you know, is, is miles uh, uh, between one and another. So that's a little bit of me. What people don't know about me, and I'd like to share, there are two things, not just one. One is obviously they're not going to know that when I was eight years old, in order to buy myself a toy that my mom told me that I couldn't buy in the supermarket, uh, she offered to finance my entrepreneur idea of selling jelly in the streets of Mexico to buy myself a toy. So my first entrepreneurial experience was at eight years old, standing in the street corner, selling uh, jelly for 50 cents of a peso and uh, a smiling, wide smile, uh, very well uh, 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 hairbrushed and everything because I knew that most of the ladies that will work in the uh, offices nearby will buy you by a smile because as a, as a small kid, I was a good-looking kid. Later on, everything went wrong, but and, um, I, I, I sold enough to be able to buy my toy and some more. So that's one thing. And the other one is... Um, I'm surrounded by, uh, uh, I'm a minority at home. Uh, I got five daughters and my wife. And uh, so uh, in terms of uh, uh, gender equality, something very high on my personal um, agenda, uh, as it were. And everything I look at on entrepreneurs, angel investors, everything. That's amazing. Uh, and I, I love the, the story of uh, when you were a kid. Uh, those stories always resonate because when we were doing talks with uh, a, a group of high school students coming up and uh, one of the, the, the whole line was that uh, you've been an entrepreneur and you didn't know it. And I think a lot of people forget that they've actually done a lot of things to make money when they were kids. Um, and I think that's a really good start to kind of think about, wait, maybe I have been able to do this. And I did this when I was a kid and you totally forget these little yeah. things you did to win. And uh, that's a great story. Yeah, yeah, it's right. And and what I, I do remember that, and my wife tells me that, uh, you know, as a kid, that she used to uh, go around doing the newspaper rounds, right? Or going to wash the neighbor's cars. And uh, that's entrepreneurial, you know, you, you're, giving, you're giving a solution and, uh, and you're getting some money in exchange for it. And you get uh, somebody, a customer that's really happy and uh, be able to um, get you to wash their car the following weekend or to deliver the paper, right? When In those times when it was uh, uh, paper uh, rounds. For sure. Well, I did the same. I had paper routes as a kid, did lots of stuff like that. Uh, I would disappear for five, six hours to deliver a paper route that took me 20 minutes, but I just enjoyed the uh, walking around and doing things. But uh, it does remind me of uh, when I, I think it was maybe our 50th show. Um, I, my parents decided they wanted to come to see what I did and what we were running. So they showed up and then I had to kind of tell the crowd that my parents were there. But when they were coming in, my mother said, did you know that when you were a kid, you took your dresser and you put your dresser in the closet and uh, I said, uh, no, she's like, yeah. And then I would come and move it out and put it back in your room. And then you'd stick it back in your closet. She's like, I had no idea. I didn't know why you did it, but you couldn't stand things in the room. You just wanted lots of space. And she said, what you actually invented was the closet organizer. And you put your, your, your dresser in there to organize everything. And I was like, wow, why didn't we turn that into an idea? Look how big that is now. And she's like, I know, you know, yeah. and uh, little stories like that. So they, they make you reflect on the things you did as a kid, right? Like um, I've got a million other ones that are funny, but it, it is fascinating how much uh, of an entrepreneur is created as a kid. And when we get into this strict regime of, I need to be this, grow up to be this, that you forget about all of these intuitive 
innovative things you did as a kid that actually could have turned you into an entrepreneur sooner, faster, quicker. And some of that comes down to, and you talked about this uh, in a lot of the materials and a lot of the keynote stuff that you talk about, uh, which is on how mentoring works and being able to mentor uh, these young startups. But I wonder if you find that this is actually something that could go even further back and start mentoring teachers and start mentoring parents so that they can start to see these skills that are buried in these kids uh, so that they will actually utilize those as energy to drive forward instead of locking them away and finding them 20 years ago, 20 years later, uh, when they're trying to build a company and think they have no idea what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, man. And I, I think the skills of um, uh, being a mentor or learning how to be a mentor are, are paramount. I think you're quite right. You know, nothing prepares you for parenthood. Nothing uh, prepares you to be able to teach children, right? You, you learn. I mean, uh, everything that is in the books that tells you how to teach children. And I see that at home because my wife is a, is a teacher, right? So uh, she's, uh, you know, I, I can see a lot of this stuff, but, but she was an entrepreneur with me at one point in the UK. We had our own businesses. And so she has gone through it. She knows what it's like to lose everything. She knows what it's like to, uh, uh, you know, to, to identify the key points on, on the kids uh, that, that, that talk about entrepreneurship. So that's, you know, she teaches businesses, so uh, business lessons. So that class is amazing. Because I actually think they're going to benefit from somebody having been an entrepreneur, investing her money and then making money and then investing money, losing money, but trying absolutely everything. And those kids do write to my wife saying, you know what, you were the, the best lesson. Some of the advice that you've given us, we've taken into university and, 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 and they've done pretty well. So I do think um, the, uh, the skills of mentorship, it doesn't mean that you have to mentor another business man or business woman. Uh, I think mentoring and, and, and nurturing those skills from uh, kids is, is amazing because you're quite right. You and I were out there doing our bits enjoying the freedom, but also we were able to talk to people and sell them a product without any issues. We had no inhibitions at all. Uh, eventually, later on, you do, and you start spending all this time knowing or thinking, how is it that it's not going to work? Uh, uh, and then actually what you are working with is that your ego makes you think that you're going to fail and, uh, and, and you want to be perfect. And when you're a kid, you don't mind not being perfect. You just want to go and do it, right? But yeah, I mean, I would have been, I think I would have been a continuous um, entrepreneur in my early age. Have I not been then be thought that you have to go and find a job? Nothing wrong with that. But then you have to be an employee. But then you have to eventually save money if you ever can. And then, and then your life is planned out for you, right? So there is no mentoring anybody that can come to you and say, you know what, uh, you can do whatever you want. As long as you don't hurt anybody, you know, you can dream it. I love that. And how do you, how does a startup or even someone in high school, university, how do you think that they should engage with mentorship? It's kind of something new, right? It's like a life coach. What makes you decide I should go and do something like this? Is it I feel I need to be more mature, so I'm going to find someone that can educate me and give me business acumen. Like, what is the driving factor where people just think this is, you know, and I don't think people want to think this, but wow, this is really tough. I need somebody that has some, you know, back experience in this to help me out. 
Is there some signs that you can kind of share that would say, you know what, you don't need anything. Just as soon as you're going to start something, find three people that know what they're talking about and start working with them right away. That's going to help you going forward. Is there some sort of mechanism or program that you kind of get people in that train of thought that says, I really do need to look for help and not be afraid of it? I think, um, you know, some of the bits that uh, I normally do on courses that I give, especially with qualified mentorship, and, and I want to tell you, Jeffrey, I, I went into, into this in the past two years after, uh, as an angel investor, seeing the terrible advice that some of the entrepreneurs that we had invested or were looking into investing in were being given by so-called mentors, right? And mentorship for free, which is so dangerous. And I mean free with people who actually haven't been uh, trained to become mentors, right? And, and you touch on a, on a factor, you said a word there that is very, very important to identify. It's like uh, you, you need a life coach or, or you need a, a business advisor or you need a mentor. I like to think that a mentor can play all those roles uh, at, any, at any point in time in the life of somebody. So um, what was the most important thing for an entrepreneur is to understand that you don't know it all. So, uh, and entrepreneur is the first thing that we think that we do, that we know it all, that we know business model, we know what we're going to do, because everybody out there, all these webinars that we got to, all these uh, uh, entrepreneurs, leadership, they're always telling you, believe in yourself, you can do it, don't listen to people, go 100 miles an hour, go for it. Actually telling you, don't listen to any advice that you get, right? And then you get the other leader saying, actually, you know, you've got to listen to it, listen to every a little bit, little bit piece of advice. And then, well, you've got to listen to the quality of the advice, right? I think that's what I, yes, listen to the advice, but listen to the quality. And the, the best, and, and also be very careful when, when uh, as an entrepreneur or as an angel investor, if, if your entrepreneur is looking for a mentor, for a mentor who actually has time to mentor the entrepreneur, uh, it might be that he's not that good or she's not that good. That's why they have time to do it, right? Uh, because anybody who's worth two cents out there, they're actually really busy and they already have two or three people that they mentor. I don't believe that mentors can actually mentor more than, than two people at a time because you need to focus into what advice you need to give. And you as an entrepreneur or, or, or angel investor even, we all need to have our mentors. Uh, you should analyze what you want a mentor for. You don't need a friend, right? Uh, because that's the wrong thing. You need somebody who's going to tell you the, the, the way it is and, and also to question what you think. Well, there's a, you, you made a, all of that is very valuable, but you made one, one point that really stood out and uh, you said you, you don't need a friend. And, I want to kind of explore that because I think it's in our innate ability that when we start to engage with somebody, we go to thinking that we need to be friends with this person and not looking at what I'm actually working to get out of this. And I think that that's where the most valuable piece of what you're saying is that uh, don't treat this, that your friends treat this as this person is purely business and they're trying to guide you and help you. And they need to push back against the things that you're doing. You need to be able to share raw data. Uh, the, when you do sit in that room and talk about it with board members or anybody else, they're going to jump all over you and they should jump all over you. Uh, everything shouldn't be rosy. And this is amazing. Great job. Pat on the back. And you're like, wait a second, I just lost $2 million. How is this rosy? Uh, you do need the pushback and you need your coaches and your mentors to be able to, uh, take that same approach 
And it's that hard love approach and it's business versus I'm building this and I've got some friends that are really helping me. I think that that's the total opposite. And you should be flipping in and out of coaches every year to every two years because you need that advancement. You need that push and you don't want the comfort level. Is that a fair statement? I think you have, you have touched on something very, very important, the comfort level. And the comfort level is when we hear what we want to hear, right? That's your comfort level. So you've always been told you are good, everything is going to be rosy, don't worry, keep doing it. It's part of the entrepreneurial uh, peak and throbs. And, and that's not right. And you touch also in something that I'd like to expand a little bit more. You need to have a structure of meetings with your, uh, uh, with your mentors. And it's something that I, I talk on, my, uh, on the certification courses that I do. It's like, right, you, you need to put a time to it. You need to put a place and you need to put KPIs that you're going to talk about. And your mentor has to come to you and say, hi, how, how are you doing? And forget about talking the first 10, 15 minutes. How is your family? How is your health? How is everything else? Because you know each other already. So go straight on to the points. Ask your mentor to drill you, right? To make you think, to say, this is the KPIs that I have to measure because I need to measure growth. And growth can be measured on the impact that you create with your project. Growth can be measured on sales. Growth can be measured on different things. You set the KPIs with your mentor. And that's why you talk for an hour. Nothing else, right? Innovation a little bit, but just, just feel like you're being drilled and make, make yourself think where are you going with what you are doing and, and, and what you need to change, right? If you want to have a coffee with a mentor, you can go to Starbucks and sit there and talk to the guy next, on the table next to you. And, and, you know, that'll be a friendly coffee. I say to the mentors, never meet in a, in a Starbucks. They're just distracted elements everywhere. There had to be, we need to professionalize mentoring and not just in the way that's delivered, but also in the structure that it is delivered, you know, because then entrepreneurs will take it more serious and you will know that some of the advice that you get or what the way that it makes you think it, it will go you know, a long way to, to, to be able to take better decisions with your team, uh, with your investors, with the board that you have to respond to, because you've got those KPIs with your mentor all the time. And I love that because what I think that does as well is taking the, uh, putting yourself into a business atmosphere, it creates focus, but it also creates accountability. And I think to, to your point uh, and to uh, uh, another uh, investor that I was speaking with a couple of weeks ago out of Montreal, he was on how boards should work and how programmatic they need to be and how they need to be a lot more stern. And they're not there to be your friend. They're there to punch holes, but give you the guidance to get you to that next stage. And I think coaching is pretty much the exact same structure. It's it's accountability for you because really when you're at the top, you don't really have anybody else accountable. So you need to force yourself into that accountability position, which is someone's got to be your boss or I want someone to be my boss. So I need to report numbers. I need to report in. And those are the types of things that can really help you strive to hit new goals, but also build goals and plans that people can all get behind. And 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 this is uh, very important because one of the things you just mentioned it gives you a structure, right? And, and, and one of your guests was talking about how, how do you behave in front of your board, corporate governance, how you run a meeting. And actually having a, a, a set of meeting rules with your mentor helps you 
to prepare yourself for when you actually deliver uh, uh, those reports to your board, to your investors, right? And so even without doing it with a focus of actually I'm going to learn how to present or how to behave or how to run a board meeting as an entrepreneur or CEO or, or managing director of the company that you will be or, or the leading entrepreneur, working with your uh, um, mentor on, on this professional basis, it trains you to be able to do it, right? So it, it, it is amazing, but actually, and I say to the mentors when, or, or, or the people who want to become mentors is you need to keep this structure because you need to prepare the entrepreneur to be able to report, to have corporate governance. It's not just reading a list that this is what you need to do. This is how you call the meeting. This is where, you know, the role of everybody sitting around the table. This is how you take the minutes. No, it actually, you need to put into practice during your mentoring sessions so that the entrepreneur feels comfortable, gains confidence on how to do it, and talking about the numbers and how the numbers can go wrong and can go right and what to do and where are you, you you're going with this, right? So, but it is, it, you know, it, sometimes I say to people, it's just second nature without us knowing that actually is within ourselves to be able to do this with entrepreneurs and the mentors. But the mentors can be key for, for, a, for a person to be a successful entrepreneur. I love it. It's creating patterns and uh, you need to create strong patterns so that you're, you, your mentor and your business can all kind of move forward in the right direction. Uh, now, kind of taking a step back from that, you've obviously learned, built and shared a lot around how coaching and mentoring can be really valuable to a startup, to a business and as it grows at any stage. Um, now, if we go back to kind of your earlier career where you were working, building out your own companies, I think there was 10, 11 years where you had three companies um, really uh, focused on building these up, selling them, going through the trials and tribulations of a company. How much of that experience is really turned to what you do today? Uh, obviously, you moved into investing. You started working with all these companies, mentoring, coaching. How much of that learning did it just kind of hit you and say, man, I can't be the only one facing this problem. I really need to dive into this more and figure out how I can turn this around and help others not hit the pitfalls or hit the troubled areas that I went through, as you mentioned, when you went through that last trouble in your last company. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was talking about the uh, uh, tribulations that I passed with, uh, you know, with a company where um, I, I, I went through losing absolutely everything. And, um, and I always talk about it on the, on the conferences, but one of the things that happens to us and, and, and in my experience is that you try to forget the failures pretty damn quick and you try to forget what you learn from your failures pretty damn quick because as human nature is you just want to be positive. You just want to talk about good things and everything is going to be great and we're all going to come out of this uh, COVID-19 being better people, better humans, never mind that, 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 that we will probably want and we still have to learn a lot more. So that's one of the most difficult things that I, I, I think happens to me. When I see uh, the entrepreneurs are making mistakes, and I remember that I used to make those mistakes, right? The most uh, uh, common mistake that I see is the wall of silence, uh, which I did as well. You know, I stopped passing information on because you just feel ashamed, because you just don't want to give bad news, because because you just want to keep thinking about something positive. So the wall of silence on behalf of the entrepreneurs is something that I, I see that happens a lot. And the wall of silence even happens when, when, you, when they're pitching the project to you, right? It's like, 
They talk to you about absolutely how everything is rosy and it's going to be fantastic if you invest in their project. But you think, okay, so what is it that you're not telling me? That, uh, because, because obviously you have seen other investors. I'm not the first one. There is a reason why you're still pitching and you're still going. And it's not just to gain confidence on how to pitch in front of investors. So I think the wall of silence for me is, is, the, is the biggest uh, uh, re, um, resonates, the bigger with my experiences and then what happens. The rest is just details. Is um, why didn't you manage your cash flow, cash flow? What happened? What decisions are you taking? How are you taking your decisions? Because you think if you're taking it on your own, then how am I going to help you to take the decisions? Because all the decisions are taken on my own. I can tell you 99% of them, you know, I hit the wall and it hurt me hard. So uh, because I didn't evaluate anybody else's point of view on my on me taking the decisions. There are certain decisions that you take, like sometimes you have to get rid of people and they're very difficult, but you don't even take it on your own, right? You are the one that's going to execute the decision, but you have to ask uh, uh, for opinion. And that um, th- those things, I think, you, you, you can learn them. But the wall of silence for me is the one that resonates the more with my experience when I see entrepreneurs. And so it happens, three companies, you know, I have three fatalities in the startups that we have invested in. And the three of them went through the wall of silence. Couple of months, three months, nothing, no news. And then all of a sudden, the terrible news, you know, the entrepreneur throws the towel in, uh, there you go, you know, can't do it no more, personal things, family things, everything else. It's all crumbling down. And you think, yeah, I remember that, you know. remember hitting that wall and and not being able to figure out how to get around it when, you know, it may be two months earlier than that decision coming up that if you would have been talking a little bit more about it or speaking to other people that might've opened the door a little bit more and built some clarity. And um, one of the things that, you know, I, I think is really valuable in learning more about the mentoring and coaching and starting this early is that, you know, I've heard a lot of things about when you should put boards together and when you should put advisors together. And I really think that when you put any sort of angel money into a company, you should build a board. Um, I used to think that they were too early. And what I've learned over the years is that it's never too early because that creates accountability yet again. And that is a mini coaching session that you're going to get as long as those board people are taking the attention to dive in and learn more, but it also creates um, that startup to have someone to chat with and learn and speak and open up, which hopefully will open up to a larger board in time, but it'll create process. It'll create different understanding and accountability. So uh, in those same lines, when you were building your companies, is that something that you kind of look forward to now and kind of share as well that, the opportunity has to start earlier and you really got to drive this out in order to make sure these companies do survive, especially if they're a great product or idea. Yeah. And um, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that side of things. I mean, uh, when, when I first um, started in Latin America and in Mexico, investing on these uh, startups, one of the things that we will say to the entrepreneurs was we're going to the pre-due diligence is that, have you got a board now? Okay, we're going to need to set the board. We're going to need to structure. And then the voting is going to be done this way. And they all look at us like, you know, you're absolutely crazy. Now, imagine in a country where uh, all the, the most common problem in companies that are listed in the stock, in, in, uh, in the public stock in Mexico, the most common problem 
is precisely corporate governance. They don't comply. In a listed uh, right market where the main priority is you must comply mm. to these rules, right? So what, what hope have you got in a culture where most of the things have to be hidden because that's how business gets done? So with entrepreneurs in Latin America, you have a double challenge. You have the challenge that you have in the US and Canada and Europe where, right, let's start the corporate governance, let's put a board together, and the entrepreneurs a little bit of, hang on, you're putting handcuffs on me, right? No, 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 let's just give it some structure. This is what you said, right? We're gonna, it's gonna be an advisory board, but you need to get results and trying to sell it to them. Well, in Mexico and Latin America, you have to do it twice over, right? First is you have to work on the culture uh, side of things because they don't like this uh, uh, having a boss, right? They believe entrepreneur is about, I take my decisions, I'll buy myself a Mercedes, I go on holiday as soon as the investment comes in and, uh, and then we'll see. So you try to put all of this in and they think it's too difficult, you make it too difficult. And that takes me to my next point is like, when you're trying to put seriousness and corporate governance and reporting and mentorship and KPIs, here it comes the other side of make sure that the money comes in quicker, right? So make sure we put a safe into place and entrepreneurs get told this. So your entrepreneurs in Latin America are exposed to the quick access to money, like the, in the US and sometimes in Canada and Europe, and the lack of a structure in your own environment. So in angel investment, even in, in, in developed markets, especially in Mexico and Latin America, you're fighting with those two things. You're fighting with entrepreneurs telling you you should free up your money quicker and, uh, and don't put so many rules. Yeah, we'll talk about it later on. I think that's a real big misconception that is unfortunate and it carries forever. It's almost like if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you just happen to always meet the same person that gives you the same wrong advice and tells you the same wrong stories. It's kind of like when you go into a country, you always run into the person that says, don't go past eight o'clock. The whole country's bad and uh, you're going to get mugged. And you're like, really? I don't believe this. And then you don't go out and you have the worst time. And meanwhile, the country is super safe, but they always spread the bad of all the bad instead of spreading all the amazing things that can occur by enlightening people, by giving them the uh, saying, look, you're not losing control. You're gaining process. You're yeah. um, building mentorship. You're not building a boss. Like there's, it's just weird because I remember so many times startups would always say, uh, Oh, don't go to VCs. Don't take their money. They'll take over your company and they'll out you. And that's one in a million. And that's because that CEO did a terrible job and had to be outed because he did buy a Mercedes and did buy a penthouse and the company was burning money and not growing money. So there probably were reasons that these things occurred, but no one talks about them. So it creates this stigma that when all of these startups go out and look for funding, they think that it, they're all bad people, that investors are going to ruin them. And I, I think that there's, you got to kind of somehow change that story because angels are there to support and VCs as well, they all have day jobs and their day job isn't figuring out how to run your company. It's how to support your company. And I think there's somehow we got to write this on billboards, but the break down this fear, because I think it really does impede the opportunities that companies can go for by getting the right people in early. And uh, precisely that point I was talking uh, yesterday on, uh, on another webinar in, in Latin America based uh, out of Costa Rica. And we, 
there were various people from the uh, ecosystem. And um, they just wanted me to give a, uh, what the context is in the investment uh, scenery in, in Latin America. But I, I always pretty much end up talking about the same stuff in one way or another, even though I change my presentations, because I see this as the main point is that here are the investors, so, you know, talking a certain language and making sense or not making sense or whatever. And here are the entrepreneurs also talking some other language within the same entrepreneurial ecosystem that we all belong to. And what happens is we just talk different languages, right? We don't see down and we don't understand how each other has to think. So all my conversations and all my, my talks always like, this is how the angels think. This is how an investor thinks. This is how a VC thinks. And this is a, you know, and after five years of repeating myself and making people think, this is how we do it. We've got to think as a portfolio. We don't think as a, the one opportunity shot. But every time we make an investment, that's the one opportunity shot for us. But we are building the portfolio, right? And we've got to balance it. And what we need to do is we need to have these returns. If we don't get them, then obviously we stop being angel investors and we're gonna we're gonna have to go and, and, and earn ourselves some money somewhere else. But and, and that's the reality of it. But what what does happen is that normally, yes, then we isolate again. It's like we get together for a conference and you see it in a conference, entrepreneurs are at one side of the coffee table having coffee and biscuits, and on the other side, investors having coffee and biscuits, always talking to the same, the same people, right? So um and eventually, actually, this is what needs to happen is we need to marry each other, but we just don't know how each other thinks or why we're playing the game that we're playing or why we take the role that we take. And that's the most important thing, right? So it is, it is something that I think uh, it, it, it happens that entrepreneurs have an image of investors that doesn't necessarily make justice and entrepreneurs, therefore, return saying having to justify no's you know that's the worst thing that you 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 are being asked when you say no to an entrepreneur they say why not it's, like, it's just a no you know is that it, it's easy if you just go and go to pitch onto the next one because this is no for me right for sure and if um if we take kind of all of these great things that you that we've shared and what you've uh been kind of talking about on how uh, startups can really survive and really get off the ground here and, and certainly make a, a push in the market and get some great people to support them. Um, is there maybe before we transition kind of into the, the rapid fire questions, but is there maybe from your learnings of going through the, the fail of your company, obviously you have successes as well. So this is a good matchup. Is there kind of like three or four things that you would kind of suggest to any company that's starting out, you know, take a look, write these on the wall because we know we need to see them every day before it's kind of imprinted in our brain. But are there a couple of points that would stand out that you say, you know what, to build a well-balanced business in your first two years, you need to focus on these three things. And I know you mentioned one of them, not to, I'm giving you a cheat sheet, but um, would be, you know, don't, don't seal yourself off from communication. So communication is number one. Is there other things that you see that really fit that can help startups really start to mentally think about what it takes to be an entrepreneur? I will say, try not to hire your friends um, because they're the most difficult ones to get rid of when things go wrong, especially on this side. Uh, that's something that I, that, I, that I learned and I kept making the same mistake and I even did it on my last company. 
uh, because because you start thinking with your feelings and you don't start thinking with a clear head, right? And 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 always, and I think one of the main purposes we always say, you know, we do things because we want to have a positive impact in the world. Uh, yes, you know, but that's I think we forget that we live in a society where uh, money makes things smooth, and you need investment one way or another. Whether you're a traditional business or you are a social impact business, you need to attract it. So uh, understand how to manage money, uh, and that's bringing money, making money, and spreading and sharing the money. Um, because if you don't know that, everything else that you have as your feelings are, you know, I want to alleviate poverty in the world. I want people to uh, do a lot of positive things. You can't do it uh, just sitting on the side of the road without anywhere to move with or people to listen to you, right? And and that's what we are. And, and, and so we have to be clear because... Sometimes say all the other things uh, are just nice dreams, but to convert those dreams into reality, you have to put petrol into the car to drive it. I love it. Those are three great. Don't hire friends, open communication, and understand money. Bingo. I love it. Especially the understand money part. Man, that's huge. Because uh, you're right. It's a, there's a uh, always going to be some sort of shortcomings. And a lot of the time I would... You know, I'd estimate uh, 98% of founders are builders and they forget about sales. Uh, so there's like little things we learn as we go in this space. And then I would say that of the 100% again of entrepreneurs, let's say 80% of them haven't really figured out finance. And then maybe 80% of them haven't figured out tech because we all went through this bucket where we all streamlined to be good at one thing. And the great thing is that we're all good at one thing, but we have to open up our minds because these other things become quite challenging. And uh, that open communication, and, and uh, I love the no friends part because it's difficult. You want to be part of it and, and have everybody join in. But uh, I think that's a very, very valuable three items to, to think about uh, when you're jumping into entrepreneurship. Um, we're going to kind of uh, move into it. And I, and I want to dive into this one question that, um, and I'm sure you've got plenty, plenty stories on this, but what story can you share with the audience that really will depict what it takes to be an entrepreneur? What is the, like you mentioned what you've gone through and you're very passionate about having some wins, having some fails, but is there a story out there that really resonates with, with yourself around a founder where she had to go through adversity just to crush it or whatever that might be, but the heart stringing, entrepreneur that really makes you feel, wow, this is what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Is there any story that resides with you that uh, you can share with the audience? Yes. Um, um, and, and I have to talk about it. What, what do um, angel investment uh, investors or angel uh, networks talk about? It's like, it's all responsibility to talk about our portfolio, right? Our investments and, and, the, and, and the people that we, we believe in. And that's why we make sure that they got an investment. Um, and this is probably one that um, you, um, you you might have met him in Chihuahua when we had a conference there. Uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's a French entrepreneur from a, a startup called Desidata. And um, no, not, no, in 2019, no, you know, just after the, the Chihuahua event, um, one of the uh, co-founders, uh, just decided to, you know, they already, they received the largest check first time round in uh, in Latin America for a Latin American startup, 
first angel investment, uh, $1.3 million for an angel investment that's pretty large. And uh, it was also a, a, um, at the first time that five different countries co-invested, angel investors. So it was uh, amazing. It was quite exciting and expensive on the legal side. Yeah. But, uh, but what happened is the entrepreneur is uh, he, um, so, so his, his friend, right, uh, decided but with his girlfriend, I mean, the, 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 not, not his girlfriend, their friend's uh, girlfriend, they decided to get up and say, right, look, we're going to go and live in Canada, right? And um, there is the business, and the business starting to go down a little bit because they had a couple of clients that just didn't come through and they hadn't paid them. So things started to get difficult and somebody jumps the ship, right? And one of the founders jumped the ship. Soon after, the other founder that was pretty much a silent founder also decides to take the opportunity to live and then leave this guy on his own. So Lee, this guy has to do a, uh, has to do a call that the board and say, look, I only got cash flow for the next three months. Uh, we've got no customers, no new customers. Uh, the ones that are going to pay us is just going to give us enough money to survive three months after that. Uh, if they don't pay us, then in three months, we are completely gone. Uh, the board of directors, half of the board of investors, sorry, uh, just thought, well, tough shit, you know, <laughs> it's like, sort it out. The other half would have said, okay, so what do you need? You know, what, what do you want from us? You know, the, the, the best thing to do is I want to get rid of these guys. I want them to let go so I can take control. And my plan is to go and visit the two key clients and sell them more of what they already buy. Right. So they had three months uh, uh, to survive. First of all, he decided to, uh, he had to let go 50% of the employees. This is a startup that already had 32 people working for them. So they had to do it with 16 now. Two of the co-founders went, one of them was the tech side. So they have a platform uh, and, and he had to learn how to use it. So he had to do a bit of, uh, he had to do the sales uh, cap. He had to go and do the financing cap. He had to be the CEO and he had to be the, the, the inspirational leader with his team, right? Who all of a sudden had to move offices and, and, and had to see half of their uh, workmates go. And then he went quiet. Like, let me work on this for two months and we meet again and then I'll let you know uh, how we're doing. He did call me a couple of times to uh, just, you know, alleviate a little bit and, uh, and, uh, about his frustration. And of course, to have me on his side, so when it came to the voting on the board to get people out, uh, we could do it. He managed to turn it around. He closed the largest deal with uh, Televisa, which is the largest TV network operator in Latin America. And, and he managed to turn it, to turn it around. Um, that, you know, uh, he, we, we had a few drinks together. We met each other and, you know, that's when a lot of the things flow. He was telling me how you know his nights was without sleeping. So during the day he had to be positive. He had to lead his team. At night time he would literally cry in his bed, thinking, "What am I gonna do?" And and he kept doing it. And 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 he's you know the company obviously is not completely out of the uh, uh, out of the daily uh, uh, challenges that having a startup, even though he operates in five countries, uh, and and they're doing quite well. They don't need to raise money right now. Um, but it's, yeah, I think it was probably two weeks away from completely closing down, pulling the curtain down and saying goodbye to actually turn around and say, and he did say, you know, the, the most important thing for me 
who's having the support of uh, angel investors because the VC that was with us, they just they just say, we'll just wait to see what you do. Uh, uh, but but that was um, but so that resonates to me quite a lot because you have somebody who also uh, his relationship suffered uh, uh, due to the fact that his co-founder put his relationship first, right? Uh, and he and he didn't because he he believed in this dream. So, uh, but he's done pretty well, uh, you know, French guy, uh, uh, and uh, and he's, he's he's fantastic. So he's always one of the people that I invite to talk in front of other entrepreneurs, just to let them know that even sometimes you girlfriends will have to suffer. No, that's a great story. And, and uh, re resilience and passion and being able to take back and control what you've built and, and drive that forward is phenomenal. So uh, amazing story. And, and I'm glad they were able to turn it around because uh, it sounds like uh, they did some great things to start it and kick it off. And then everybody decided, wait, we got our payday time to go. So it's, uh, I'm glad that he was able to change that around, but, um, yeah, that's what it takes to be an entrepreneur. It, it certainly does. That's awesome. Okay. We're going to, we're going to kind of transition now into our rapid fire questions. Great. All right, here we go. And some of these you've did mention before, but we're going to jump into them regardless, just to kind of round it all back up again. Um, so what's your favorite part? Of invest in early stage investing, the energy of the entrepreneurs—that's uh, that's what I like. You know, that's my favorite part. I like it. Uh, how many companies do you invest in per year? Uh, last year, big fat zero. It was all follow-ons and trying to uh, survive and save them. Uh, normally, it's about two to three companies for the past three years. Perfect. I like it. It's good. Average is good. Uh, any verticals you like to focus on? No, I uh, welcome everything. I want to learn about everything. I know sometimes angel investors get told, dedicate yourself to the industries that you know. I dedicate myself to learn, so I just go into anything that I sounds exciting. I love it. Awesome. Uh, any due diligence requirements that you like to make sure you have in order to make an investment? Um, yes, I uh, am. Um, on the number side, we talked about how we need to make sure that entrepreneurs know how to manage money. Uh, I, I do want to know how their bank accounts have been uh, managed. I don't go into details what gets spent on. I just, you know, I have a glance, and I think most of us could have a glance of how a bank account uh, behaves, and from that you take uh, the vision that you want. So I like to look at a bank account and think this is how it moves. Perfect. I love it. We do uh, three months of uh, print screens of their uh, bank statements yeah. so that we know what's going on. Yep. Agreed. Uh, outside of the DD requirements, do you look for any other factors that really drive the company? Is it you, you're really interested in product first or CEO or team, anything like that that really stands out again? Uh, I think it has to be. I mean, the, the, the CEO, we all have a look at our CEOs and decide whether you know, they're, they're the right person to be with, but the team, they surround themselves is just as important, you know, because you start, people forget that during the first year, two years of you having invested, it's most and more likely that one or two of the co-founders are going to disappear. That's a very good, very valid point. Agreed. Uh, do you like to lead rounds? Um, no, we like to uh, convince people around the rounds. Okay. Uh, do you have preferred terms? Perhaps shares, common, safes, or you're open-ended? 
Uh, we're open-ended, uh, but mostly in Mexico, uh, due to legal uh, restrictions, is uh, common shares. Oh, brilliant. I'm moving to Mexico. I do like Mexico. Um, all right. So uh, do you do, and you mentioned this already, so you do follow on investments and do you, is there a percentage always? Uh, how do you look at that? Uh, mostly is uh, obviously we, we look at if we can bring in uh, new investors in the same round or the follow on. Um, we, we try to maintain of the new round to just, you know, leverage 20, 30% of it. Okay. And do you take board seats? No. We get a. We would rather allocate uh, a mentor uh, uh, or um, uh, or be invited, uh, but we don't put it as a as a rule. Okay, perfect. Um, all right, so that that's going to end the uh, rapid fire questions. Well done. Uh, we've got. We're going to jump into the personal questions here. So, first question: What is your favorite sports team? Sports team. Uh, <laughs> Uh, right, so that depends on the sports side of things, right? Uh, so in uh, soccer, as you call it, uh, has to be America, and, uh, um, and and I do follow rugby, so um, uh, it, it it has to be uh, Richmond uh, rugby team in the UK. Okay, very cool. And what was the what was the football team or the soccer team? America, yeah. Okay, it's called, right. it's called America. Yeah, it's in the in the Mexican league and uh, Mexican league, yeah. I think we just played against the Toronto something and we won. Yeah. The Toronto, some, the TFC. Yeah. 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 I've, uh, in the past I have, uh, uh, gone to many of those matches. So I'm a big fo- soccer fan. I football fan. I, while I travel around the world, I make sure that I go to games in every city or country that I'm in, regardless of where I am. So I have seen soccer matches in, uh, little islands all the way to big, uh, big games. Uh, I'm an Arsenal fan, but I, I love watching the game and it's crazy. The, uh, the craziest match I probably watched was in, um, uh, uh, Saint-Germain, Paris, Paris, Saint-Germain, um, PSG game. The fans were crazy. Uh, absolutely nuts. Um, just the way they did the game, like I could spend 10 minutes just describing it to you. It, it blows me out of the water how this old, old stadium um, where uh, PSG plays, and it was just incredible. The way the crowd was into this, like jumping, the whole stadium shaking, it was incredible. And then uh, the other one was in, uh, actually, my last travels before COVID was in uh, Israel. I was in, uh, I think it was in Hakka. And I was watching um, the local league play. And the, I have to share this only because this was um, <laughs> pretty nuts. But they, it, it's a kind of a dome which with the open top, but it goes up pretty high. So uh, when the match started, a few minutes before the match started, they lit off so many smoke bombs in the place that when they dropped the ball and the game started, you couldn't see anything. So the crowd was cheering, but the players couldn't move because they couldn't see the field because they couldn't see the ball or anything. So for seven minutes, everybody stood there waiting for all of this smoke to go out. And then they could see some guy running in the corner, moving the ball. And that's, that's how the game started. So I had never seen that before, but it was the excitement was so high that everybody was lighting up fireworks, everything. And yeah, that was how the game started. So it was like literally seven minutes before the ball even moved. So 
Yeah. I don't know why I had to get all excited to share this, but someone needed to hear this story, I guess. Um, all right. <laughs> next, uh, next question is what is your uh, favorite movie and what character would you play in the movie? Oh, yeah. Um, so now you, you just, you just caught me off guard because, uh, um, there, there are two favorite movies, but I have to, I have to choose one. Uh, well, you can choose both. Yeah. We're open to that. Well, there was one film, by, uh, the name of the film was The Bull, uh, is The Bull with Sylvester Stallone. He's a boxer. Yep. No, sorry, not Sylvester Stallone. Uh, Robert De Niro. Um, oh, The Bull. Yeah, yeah, Robert De Niro. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, um, I, I really liked that film. I felt, I felt quite uh, identified with the... Um, with with you know it's probably the entrepreneurial life right what what why did uh, unfortunately obviously he dies but uh he actually um you know he's uh, uh he, he turns himself into a great fighter and um uh, just uh, so i i have to identify with with that one um, in robert de niro and the other one the name escapes right now it's, it's silly of me but is um uh from the director of reservoir dogs the first one uh, of the series, which was where John Travolta. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, was uh, that uh, uh, pretty much? Uh, that's it for me. And, and which ca- character, John Travolta? Yeah, yeah. Especially when he's dancing. Oh, okay. Yeah. The um, oh my god, I can yeah, picture you know, it right now. It's with uh, Samuel Jackson. Yes, and, uh, John Travolta. Yes. I was a huge fan. I watched that movie a thousand times when I was a kid. Uh, the bull I haven't seen since I was younger, so I have to rewatch that one, but I do like that one. Uh, it'll come to me the name in a second, but, um, and okay. The last, the last uh, question to this is what is your superpower? <laughs> uh, my superpower. I don't know. Um, I would say that I'm, I'm, I'm always willing to listen. Um, that, that, uh, and, uh, my superpower is always willing to listen. Uh, my wife would probably disagree with that. My children <laughs> as well, uh, because I just can't stop conversations all the time. But uh, yeah, um, I mean, and my wife also says, "What uh, you know? What are you doing? What conversation are you having now? What Zoom call? What do you do there? Why are you talking to people?" So I'm always available. I'm always uh, willing to listen. And and I think the the the, the no sort superpower is. Um, I love the microphone, so it's very difficult to keep me quiet on uh, occasions like this. I like it. Well, I was going to add into your superpower and say that I also think that your superpower to add on to a great listener is that you're a super connector. So I think that that makes uh, for super listening to be able to be a super connector too. I think you're really good at bringing people together. So uh, that's just from my perspective, but uh, still they're all superpowers. So that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I, uh, my wife said to my, uh, um, my father-in-law said to my wife that, you know, one of the uh, things that he likes about me is that um, I always listen, you know, and, and being able to keep quiet and listening and understanding uh, is very difficult for, for the great majority of us, especially entrepreneurs, right? Uh, and then just being able to come around and, and say something that's going to generate value is the second most difficult thing. I love it. Connector. Yeah. I love connecting people. Thank it's, you. Yeah. The, uh, the whole side of it is, uh, in my mind, it's always listen twice, speak once. That's what's going to help you move around in the world. Right. 
But uh, Israel, I, I thank you very much for all your time today. It was great to get to know you a lot more again. Uh, I think the, the best was when I got to come down to Chihuahua and meet you and, and the rest of your team and, and participate in that event. Uh, but today I got to learn a little bit more and hopefully the audience did too. Um, but again, I appreciate it. As I always say, I won't do it, but I do. I take notes. Uh, can't help it old school, but a lot of great things in here. Uh, I love the the whole side of money management. I'm going to push that more. I'm going to put that on a banner because it's so needed. Uh, but the way we like to end things is we want to give you the last word. So anything you want to share to entrepreneurs or to investors, it's over to you. But thank you again for all your time today. Thank you, Jeffrey. And, and just looking at your background there and the picture that you have, and, uh, and, and I know up north, you guys uh, get some great snow uh, in the winter. And as you know, in Mexico, we have the opportunity to have some great, great pictures. And uh, I can but invite, invite you. Of course, you're going to receive my invite to come and join us in Pitch at the Beach in, uh, in Mexico, August 21st, 22nd, 23rd. And obviously to all your audience, uh, the last two events, we have people from Canada. You guys uh, love coming and, and having a good party, but more than anything, connecting. Connecting with entrepreneurs from around the world, other investors from the region. Have a great time, uh, but be humans one to another. Take your shoes off, take your socks off, put your naked feet on the sand and just you know, make connections. I love it. We'll, uh, we'll make sure we push that out and help support uh, pitching on a beach. I love it. It's uh, a great concept. And uh, again, thank you for your time. I will admit the photo in the background, that's a mountain I climbed in Bolivia. So uh, I would love to say that was Canada, but in this case, next one will be. But uh, um, regardless, uh, again, I appreciate all your time. Thank you very much, Israel. And um, just give me two secs. Okay, that was, uh, that was Israel. I met him a couple years ago. Uh, I went down to, do a, um, to Mexico to do a keynote and to chat with at his conference, which was phenomenally well done and really got to meet amazing people in, uh, in Chihuahua, Mexico and through Mexico. And uh, I just loved, I, I said this earlier, but I'm a big fan of you know, his three points, which was you know, understanding money for a, what a CEO should look for, uh, great communication skills, and uh, don't hire your friends. I think there were some good points there to, to look at. Um, and of course, just throughout all of this, you know, building up that energy, learning from your mistakes and uh, communicating is, is pretty big. So, um, and I'm going to check out that bull movie. So if you haven't already, uh, please like, share, comment, give us any feedback. We're always looking to improve, make us some introductions. Uh, we would be more than happy to uh, jump on an interview, but thank you again for all your time today. Stay awesome.